Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Well, good morning. It's good to see you again. Hi. We have been in a series, if you've been hanging out with us at all this summer, and if you hadn't, now you'll know. Uh, we've been in a series uh, that we've called Collide. And we've been looking at different encounters, mostly that individuals had with Jesus uh, throughout the Gospels. And looking at their, how they had to adjust their lives to him. One of the things that I find interesting in our day and age is the numbers of people who will tell you, well, my Jesus would never do that, or my Jesus would... Can I just tell you something? There's really only one Jesus. You, you don't get your own Jesus. You know, you don't get to decide what Jesus would do or Jesus would say because Jesus has done and said it all. He's the Alpha and the Omega. So I just want to lay that to rest, if I could. Now one of the things, I, that, that, that last song that we worshiped the Lord to, I, I pray this morning that you will see the love in Jesus' eyes even in the midst of this message. Because this message is heavy. I, I, my heart's been heavy the last couple of weeks as I've thought about bringing it. Um, I tried to wiggle my way out of it. The Lord kept bringing me back. We're, we're actually going to be looking at the greatest sermon ever delivered. Um, it's Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We're, we're going to look at his conclusion. And I believe that in the conclusion of Jesus' uh, sermon, he gives what I believe may be the most shocking, the greatest collision that any group of people probably ever experienced coming from the mouth of Jesus. And we're going to deal with this today. It was, I'm, I'm telling you, it was shocking to the group gathered there. And it may be shocking to some of you gathered here today. Um, so let me ask you a question. When was the last time you were truly just shocked? It was like, oh my goodness, I never, I never saw that coming. Just take a moment and think about, about what that was. Because I want to read to you about a man who was recently kind of shocked. Um, I'm on Channel 2 News, uh, WCBD's website, and this took place, uh, the, the article was written on the 16th, the event took place on the 15th. This is, I need to put these on, this is uh, what, what it says. It says, police chase alleged carjacker nearly 15 miles through North Charleston into Berkeley County. And then it goes on. A chase through North Charleston from the Tangra Outlet area ended in the front yard of College Park Man. And I want you to meet College Park Man this morning, okay? You ready? Can you roll that? This is my front yard on Thursday night, the 15th. That's an abandoned pickup truck. I am on my balcony. Now here's what happened. We heard a large noise outside. And Kathy gets up off the couch to start making sure doors are locked. And as she's doing, we start hearing shrill sirens. Not like out at the road shrill, but like in your porch shrill. And um, 
the, the, the entire police force of North Charleston ended up in our front yard that night. They had chased this guy, as you know, into our... Now, for those of you who have tried to get to my house during the daytime, it's hard to find. It's back like in the woods, man. How this dude found it and did not crash into our cars, ending up where he ended up, is amazing. To, it, it, it blows my mind how he did this. Anyway, the story goes after, you know, after Kathy gets off the couch, now she's panicked and she's, she's running around locking doors and ducking for cover. And, you know, I've opened the door and I see this truck and she's saying, shut the door, shut the door. So I shut the door. Police are saying, shut the door. You know, so we shut the door and we start making our our way upstairs we, we we get upstairs and I go out on the balcony don't come back in come back but I'm on the balcony and I start videoing taking some video shots of what's of what's going on well here's the story the guy jumped out of that truck ran into our backyard we have we have a wooded backyard ran into our backyard jumped a fence ran into my dad's backyard jumped his fence and then went into a mobile home community that's back behind him he goes to this mobile home, this house, and he bangs on the door saying, you got to help me, you got to help me, they're after me, they're after me. Well, the dude lets him in, thinking he's rescuing this guy from somebody. And after a few moments, the police with a couple of canine units, dogs barking, police everywhere, flashlights, he realizes, they're coming for him, it's the police. So he waits a couple of minutes, as we understand it, goes out to his back door, calls the police and says, hey, are you looking for, and they say, yeah, and he says, well, he's in my house. So eventually they cuff the guy, they bring him back up, they put him in, there's a big SUV that was sitting on our driveway between our two vehicles, I don't even know how the police didn't hear our cars, the way they came in, as we could tell. But anyway, they handcuffed this guy and eventually EMS came, I guess, you know, they drug him across the fence or something, bringing him back, I don't know. Um, and he had to be attended to, so um, it was, uh, we, we were just sitting on the couch, binge watching Madam Secretary, you know, it was just a... It was just a nice, pleasant little evening up in the woods. But it was shocking. We were shocked. You know, we, we, we're, we're accustomed to hearing noises. You know, we live out there where you can shoot a shotgun if you want to. You know, we're, we're not in an, in an incorporated area. And so that happens from time to time. Somebody just walks out on a porch and shoots a shotgun or something. And we hear it. You know, and that doesn't freak us out too much. But when you hear a loud noise followed by shrill sirens and there's blue lights coming through your, you know, your blinds that are closed, it, it's shocking. It's just, it's, it's just incredibly shocking. And the hearers of Jesus' message that day heard some really incredible things. Um, in the Sermon on the Mount. And I encourage you, if you haven't done it lately, just go back and read through Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. The, the setting, Luke tells us a little bit about the setting. There's been a big event. Jesus has called his first disciples to himself. They've come down a mountain and they're kind of doing healing and ministering and loving on people. And then Jesus decides, I need to do some teaching. So Matthew tells us, if, if you've got your Bibles, you, you can open them to Matthew chapter 5. That's not where we're going to be, but I just want you to see this. So you kind of get the rhythm of what's what's going on in Matthew chapter 5 it starts off like this seeing the crowds he being Jesus went up on the mountain and when he sat down his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them so what we see here is Jesus's disciples come to him and he he sits down and he starts teaching them 
I want you to look at the last verse of chapter 7, which is the end of the, the Sermon on the Mount. It says this, And when Jesus finished these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Now, I don't know at what point it went from Jesus teaching disciples to the crowds were there. I don't know whether it happened in chapter 5 or chapter 6 or beginning of chapter 7. But here's what I think I understand. The crowds at least heard his concluding remarks. And they would have been shocked. Remember, these are, this is taking place in the land of Israel, God's chosen people. Most everybody there would have probably been a devout, in their own way, a devout follower of Yahweh God. They would have seen themselves as in covenant with God. They would have understood that their eternal security was wrapped up because of their birthright. They, they had it going on. And then they hear Jesus say these words. We're going to start reading in verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it, enter by it, are what? Many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? The answer obviously is, duh, no. Um, verse uh, 17. So, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, speaking of the Lord's day here, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You workers of lawlessness. Verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat at that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house. And it fell. And great was the fall of it. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me, please. Father God, we come to you now asking you to be Holy Spirit, powerfully present in our midst. And I pray you would open our hearts and minds to any and all that you would have us hear from you today, from your word. So I just ask you now, God, to speak. Speak to our hearts. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Again, this was conclusion of the greatest sermon that, that was ever given. And I believe at the conclusion of those remarks, those people were shocked. Now, one of the reasons I believe that is because when I was 16 years old, uh, 
The student pastor at this church, it was called Midland Park Baptist Church then. His name was Jim Crooks. We, we called him Jimbo. Anybody in the room, in the first service, there were a lot. Anybody here remember Jimbo? Okay, Jimbo. Jimbo had black curly hair. And, and Jimbo had, I don't know how else to describe him, he had wild eyes. He just had wild, crazy eyes. I mean, it, it could be scary, like if you ran into him in the, you know, the dark or something. But um, he loved Jesus, and he was passionate. And he was teaching on this um, to the group of students that was there that night, and I was there. Now, at age eight, some of you have heard me tell this, I, um, at the end of VBS, Vacation Bible School, there was this kind of message that was given by the pastor. That's why they don't let me speak at VBS, I guess. There was this message given by the pastor, and it basically was, if you die without Jesus, you're going to go to hell. And I'm thinking, dude, I'm eight, but I ain't stupid. Let me out. <laughs> so he said, here's what you do. You come down. And so, Will and Todd Floyd went down, and I'm thinking, you ain't getting there without me, baby. So, I, I went. And he told me what to pray, and I prayed it. And a few weeks later, I got put under the water. I was baptized. And I don't remember really thinking a whole lot more about it after that. Every now and then, it would get raised up. And then I kind of hit my adolescent years and I, I wasn't living for the Lord in any stretch of the imagination. In fact, um, I didn't want nobody to know I even knew who Jesus was during that time. And then somebody invited me to church and I began attending and I heard this message. Now, it was in the context of other messages that he had brought us that really pointed out the beauty of the gospel and how much Jesus wants me to look in his eyes like we sang about and see the love that he has. But then there was this warning, this incredible, incredible kind of collision, this shocking message that, that Jesus brings. And it caused me to wrestle with what I had done at eight. And so at 16 years of age, I came to the place where I believed that what I had done had been kind of a ritual, kind of instructed by somebody else that I, I had not really loved Jesus for Jesus' sake. I loved Jesus for what he could get me or get me out of. But at 16, I jumped into the arms of Jesus. I leapt. I, I kind of did that blind faith thing. And my life got radically shifted. My life was transformed and changed. And, and what we read about was a shocking revelation to me. And I believe it was as shocking, if not more shocking, for all of those who, who were there that day. Now, here's what this, this conclusion that Jesus had to this much bigger sermon points out to me. There are four observations that I make just from, from this conclusion. Uh, four things that he starts with four kind of word pictures. Let me, let me give you those first. The four word pictures that he starts out with these pairs of things. In verse 13 and 14, he talks about a wide road and a narrow road. In verse 15, he talks about two kinds of, kinds of sheep. One that are real sheep and then one that are wolves dressed up like sheep. In verse 16, he talks about two different kinds of trees. Uh, the kind of tree that is actually diseased and the kind of fruit it has in a good tree. And then he, he talks about this, these two houses. And he, he begins dealing with this. And he's talking, remember, again, to a bunch of religious people. These would have been church-going, church-attending people, temple-heading people. 
And they are on a collision course in this great sermon. When you get to the conclusion, they're on a collision course with this shocking reality. It's a warning that some of the people who think they are part of the family of God have actually been deceived and deluded. They thought they were in. They thought they had their backstage pass. And they're coming to find out that they do not. They're quite religious on the outside, but they have this terrifying moment when Jesus says there's coming a day when I will look you in the eye, we will look face to face, and you will hear me say, depart from me, because I, I, I don't know you. Now, here's how I, I think many believers read the concluding remarks of Jesus' teaching here in, in a wrong way. I think for the most part, they, think, they, they read about the two roads. And they automatically assume that the people on the wide road are like the atheist partiers. You know, they're, they're just, they're out there. And all the Christians are on the narrow road. That's what it is. Um, but I don't think that's what Jesus is saying because it doesn't fit the context. See, the, the entire Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is directing the whole message to religious people and to think now he's suddenly going to you know veer left real quick doesn't make any sense. Secondly all of the pairs that Jesus kind of uses uh, as, a, as analogy as teaching points um, all of them are eerily similar. This first one the, the, the people on the two different roads they both believe they're on the road to heaven. They both believe that they're, they're heaven bound. And see, so Jesus in his words aren't saying, you know, when he's talking about the sheep, he's not saying, you know, one definitely look like sheep and the other, they really look like wolves. Watch out. No, he says, no. They really look like sheep. They're not, they're not people who when we're worshiping and we get to Jesus' name, you know, hear somebody go, yes. That's not happening. Okay? They're, they're not doing that kind of thing. Their eyes aren't rolling back in their heads and they're secretly worshiping some kind of demon. That's, those things aren't going on. This is all happening inwardly. It can't, it can't be seen. And see, the, the people that Jesus turns away at judgment day, did you notice what it, they called him Lord? They, they, they called him Lord. It's because what they've done is they, they think it's about what they've done outwardly. They're not even sure about their own foundation. They've been looking only at the surface. And so you're not supposed to read these concluding remarks and think this is, you know, this is for all those people who didn't come to church the day it went to the beach. You know, we're, I'm, I'm good. This, this was, Jesus was drilling down into the most religious of religious people in that day. They were Pharisees in the crowd that day, you know. And it, it's, it's not this great division that people think. That's not what it is. They, they're, they're believing that both roads are leading to the same place. But here's what Jesus is saying. That both of those roads in our day run right through the church as well. Run, run right through God's people. You know, sometimes the road looks like it consists of prayer or going through some kind of rituals or checking the box or, you know, like depending on your faith background, it may have been getting baptized or getting confirmed or using a rosary to say prayers. You know, every tradition has some kind of difference to it. You, you know, you don't really have to necessarily take serious the worship of Jesus just to get your free pass to heaven. Now, Please hear me say this. I am not trying to frighten anybody this morning. God knows that is, I don't want to frighten anybody. 
But I do want you to have to deal with the truth of what Jesus is saying. Because there is coming a day for everyone on this planet when we will have to face Jesus face to face. And he's either going to say, come in. Enter your rest. Or he's going to look you in the eye and say, depart from me. I never knew you. And so here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to give you four observations that I see coming out of his teaching and then some characteristics of those who are in danger of hearing Jesus say, I never knew you. And the, the, the first insight is this. Now, here, here's the way that I've, I've, I read this. And what it looks like is there's two different groups of people. There are people who are in the family of God who are going to say, hear Jesus say, come in. Welcome into the kingdom. And then there are others who are going to say, uh, who are going to hear that um, I never knew you. And the, the difference between the two is, is that this one group is deceived and deluded into believing they're the other. And so for, for, for what this looks like, these, these are fans and this group is family. And here's the thing that I, I observed pretty quickly in what Jesus taught is this. The number of deluded fans is going to be very large. Very large. Look at verse 13. Jesus says, the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are what? Many. There, there are going to be many. The way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are, are few. Now, he's not saying that those many are coming out of the unbelieving world. Remember who he's talking to. He's talking to people who would have thought of themselves as God-fears, real, real believers. And he's looking into the believing world and he's saying, believing world, make sure you're on the right path. Believing world, you may think you're on the right path, but, but be sure. Look at verse 22. It says, on that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not? And then they go into this litany of things that they, they had done for him. And Jesus says to that group of people, I declare to you, depart from me for I never knew you. Now, according to Jesus, this is going to happen to, to many people. And I don't know exactly the number. It may be millions who may be sitting in churches all over the world today. I just know that it's many. Second insight that I have here is that these deluded fans outwardly appear to have family traits. They, they, they outwardly, they look, like, they look like they have the same family traits as everybody else in the family. Verse 22, you notice the, those who are condemned on the judgment day, they had outward signs of being sincere Christians. I mean, look what they say to Jesus when, I mean, he, they call him Lord. And that word Lord is the word kurios, and that's the same word Jesus uses when he speaks about God. So they're looking at, you know, at Jesus as if, he, as if he is God because he was. These people have orthodoxy in their, their beliefs. They recognize the deity of Jesus. And notice how many times they say Lord. Lord, Lord. We've talked about this before. In Semitic language of that day, that, that was a, a sense of connection. It shows that you have some kind of affection, a respect, some type of emotional tie to the person you're speaking to. Some of you remember when David's son Absalom was, was killed in, in battle. And David found out. He just cried out, oh, Absalom, Absalom. When Jesus was talking, oftentimes very affectionate to two of his friends, Mary and Martha, he would, he would say, Mary, Mary, 
or, or Martha, Martha. It's this, it's this sense of connection. And so they, they use that uh, same kind of language. They talk about Jesus, Lord, Lord. They show they have this respect for him. They, they at least feel some kind of emotional connection to him. And then they go and they talk about their mighty works. Now we, we preached and we cast out demons and there were supernatural works. And some of you are like, how can that be? How can they have done that if they weren't really part of the family? How could they do family traits? Well, all throughout the Bible, God used people to accomplish his purposes that were not his. Um, we know about the high priest Caiaphas. He is, if there was one person who was truly instrumental in having Jesus crucified, it was Caiaphas the high priest. And the Bible writers tell us that just before he turned Jesus over to Pilate, that he prophesied. And the Bible writers say that that prophecy was from the mouth of God. It came straight from God. So God used this guy to speak a prophetic word of truth, even though he was not of God. Um, we, we know over in Acts, I think it's chapter 8, there's this guy called Simon the Sorcerer. And he's doing all kind of uh, supernatural works, but he is not of God. And I mean, there, go back to the Old Testament. There's that donkey that preaches a message. I mean, literally proclaims a message to a prophet. Um, he, he just proclaims that, that message. And uh, it's miraculous. There's no indication in the Bible that that donkey got saved. We don't know that there was no saved donkey, you know. God can use anything and anyone to accomplish his purposes. The deal is, these people, they were in Christian ministry. They, they came to church. They were at the prayer meetings. They were at small groups. They were fully engaged. They went on mission trips. They talked about miracles that they had seen in their own lives. Outwardly, their practices, their language, their rituals, their radio stations, everything pointed to they were in the club. Jesus used these, this other analogy. He talked about the two trees. And, and he said, both of them had fruit. You know, one, one, it wasn't that one tree had no fruit or it was dead and shriveled looking and all that. It, it, it wasn't like that. And the other one, you know, had like watermelon fruit. I know watermelon doesn't grow on trees, but, you know, something big and, and luscious, kind of the big fruit. It wasn't like he was comparing. They both had really great looking fruit on the outside. But what was wrong is the fruit was poisoned on the inside because the tree itself was diseased. The fruit was bad. It wasn't shriveled or rotted. It was just, it was poison. It would cause you harm because something on the inside was off. He talks about the two houses. The houses look exactly the same. It's only what's going on beneath the surface. And Jesus is pointing out. This is the reality that we need to be so careful of. Jesus is not uh, talking again about one guy who, you know, is worshiping him and the other guy's at home smoking dope. That's the way we like to divide the room. That is not what Jesus is doing here. He is talking to people at church. He's talking to people who think they are secure. He's not talking about one dude that loves his neighbor and another guy that beats his neighbor up all the time. It, it, it's not that kind of thing. You know? And see, what Jesus, both of them are calling Jesus Lord. 
But there's this incredible difference on the inside that, that they're not even aware of, which leads kind of to the, the second thing that we need to understand here is the deluded fans, they are shocked they're not family. When they got to the, the, that day, the day of the Lord, that day when they faced Jesus face to face, they, nobody is more shocked than them. They, 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 can't, they can't believe it. They say, hey Jesus, hold it, slow your roll now, wait a minute. Let me tell you what I've done for you. I preached, I prophesied, you know. They would go on, cast out demons. They felt like they loved Jesus. They were in ministry. They, they did all the rituals. They, they, they did it all. You know, their pastor signed their membership covenant. They, they had it all going on. It comes as a complete and total shock to them. Now, see, again, the difference... It's not in what's going on outwardly. It's, it's not even in the fervency of, of what was going on outwardly. It's not like the difference between fans and family is that, you know, fans come to church once a month and family come three out of four times a month or something like that. Th that's not like that. It's not like, you know, family know the Roman road and fans don't. Or family pray and read their Bible every day and fans... It, it's not that kind of stuff that you can, can compare it doesn't have to do with the fervency of rituals. And again, remember, Jesus is talking to God's chosen people on that day. And he's saying to those who are in his hearing, things that are going to horribly shock them. That if you, if you are banking on this form of ritual and religion to secure you eternally, it will fail you. It will ultimately fail you. Which leads to the fourth insight, and it's this. Deluded fans, Jesus said, have four common characteristics. There are four common characteristics that are taking place in the lives of those who are not family, but fans. And the first one is this. They have ritual religion, but no real relationship. They have this ritualistic kind of religion. They're, they're in the groove, they're getting it on, they're doing it, but they have no real relationship. And so when Jesus says to them in, in verse 23, I never knew you, he's not saying to them, you didn't know anything about me because they could describe him. He, he's not saying that, you know, they couldn't doctrinally tell you who he was, that they didn't know about the Trinity. Uh, he's, he's, he's saying there was no relationship. They knew his name. They could tell you about his physical features. They could describe the, the message he just preached. But they did not know him. And here's what it means. They had never surrendered. They had never thrown themselves in. They had never abandoned themselves to Jesus. They served God. But it wasn't out of love for him. It was because they wanted something from him. So they thought they could just do the rituals and it would satisfy. They thought if they went through the right rituals or obeyed the right rules, then God would give to them. God would give them a better life or God might give them heaven or, you know, their backstage pass or, or whatever. That, that God would do these things for them if they would just go through the rituals. If they would just do what the religious order said they needed to do. Or if they maintain a certain code of conduct, that, that, that would be it. And Jesus said for all of that, I never knew you. Let me see if I can illustrate it this way. If I, if I looked at my wife Kathy 
And I said, lovely wife. Because that's, that's the way we talk in my house. No. If I said, lovely wife. I would like for you to keep the house clean. And, and, and give me two kids. When we first got married. If I have said that to you. What, what's it going to take for me to get that? Well, after I picked myself up. No. But what, what if she went along with it and said, okay, okay, husband, if you will, uh, if you come home every day before six and don't go off on the weekend, so no golf, no softball, no sports, no nothing like that, and in the evening you're home helping me with the kids, and I need a $300 a week clothing allowance, not to mention shoes, that's a whole other category. And every now and then I need, um, I need some chocolate and maybe flowers, just occasionally. If she gets at the end of that and I say, okay, and I do that dutifully and I do that religiously, is that the marriage God dreamed of? No. It's not. And, and neither, neither is this idea that Christianity is about me doing to get God to respond to it. It's, 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 there's no relationship there. It's just this contract. And see, what's happening is there, it's not a love of Jesus for Jesus' sake. It's a love of Jesus for what I can get Jesus to do. Which leads to the second indicator of the deluded fans. Jesus in verse 23 concludes that verse by saying, Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. He calls them workers of lawlessness. Now, some of you may say, no, Joe, we've talked about this before. You know, these, these people, these were law-keeping people. Not only did they have all the laws of the Old Testament, they were really working. They had like 613 other laws that they were trying to keep in addition to this. If anybody could be law-abiding, law-keeping people, it, it was them. But here's what had happened. They had compartmentalized their faith. They, they had made Jesus Lord of parts of their lives. Let's, let's say nine-tenths even. Let's be, you know, let's, let's be generous with them. And say that they, they made nine-tenths of their lives. They had given that over to Jesus. That's just a, a different way of saying they had still maintained control. Because they got to decide which nine-tenths they were given. So here's the deal. Deluded fans have not given Jesus complete control. That's what lawlessness is. The heart of lawlessness is not giving Jesus complete. For example, if I owned a business and I came to you and I said, I am going to hire you to run my business. And I'm going to hold you accountable for the outcome. But I reserve the right to veto anything you say or do. Who's in control? Me. I'm still in control. I haven't given you control. I haven't given you the ability. I haven't given you a, a authority at all. I'm still maintaining control. So even if I've given Jesus nine-tenths control, which sounds like a lot, that last one-tenth means I'm still in control. I'm still controlling who, what, what that looks like. And, and here's the deal. J you know, just... Uh, uh, what if I did this? What if I said, lovely wife, there are 168 hours in a week and I've decided now 
that I only want to live married for 166 of those. So the other two hours a week, I'm going to live single. How many of you would say, that's, that's a faithful husband? Nobody? How many of you would say, he might be a dead husband? Yeah. <laughs> okay, you, you see? This, that nine-tenths stuff doesn't work in real relationships. And it doesn't work in Christianity either. It doesn't work with Jesus. See, if Jesus is not Lord of all, you know how to finish the sentence. He's not Lord at all. If he's not Lord of all your relationships and your career and your thoughts and opinions about morality with your money, with your business practices, then he is not Lord at all. If you can't say that Jesus, you, you have final say in everything, then you really don't know him as Lord. Now there are some churches that even try to make the distinction between saviorship and lordship. And they try to tell you that, you know, you can do the saving Jesus thing and you can do this and this and this and then you, you know, you can say the prayer and you can do the baptism and, and then you're saved. And then one day, hopefully, Jesus hopes that you'll like him enough that you'll start maybe obeying some of the things he, he said earlier in the, in the message. Maybe you'll start doing something. Maybe you'll take seriously loving your neighbor and those kinds of things. But for now, your sins, they'll be tolerated. Don't worry about it. See, that's, that's, how, that's how these people are coming at this. Now, I need to back up for just a second. And I, I need you to hear me really say this. This is not about being perfect. This is not about getting it right all the time. This is not about having it all together because that would rule all of us out, mostly me. This is not what we're talking about. I'm still dysfunctional. I still struggle with sin that I've been struggling with for years. We're not talking about sinless, you know, perfection. What we're talking about is total abandon. Giving myself completely to Jesus, saying that there is no portion of your life that I, I want you to keep your hands off of. There, th this is off limits. You want all of Jesus to come to all of your life. Yes, you've messed up. And you're going to mess up again. And you need some work. But you recognize the Lordship of Christ. You're looking to him to bring, you're trying to bring all these areas of your life under his control. And you have submitted your life. You have said, this is the sole authority in my life. I'm going to submit to this. I'm going to rearrange my life around the, the, the word of God. See, that's, that's what it means to totally abandon yourself. Now, some of you are saying, now, Joe, hold on, dude. That sounds like works, kind of. And, and, and I thought we were saved by, by faith alone and not by works. Well, here's the deal. We are saved by faith alone. But saving faith is never alone. It always produces good works. There's always a fruit that's not poison. There's always something that comes out of it. Saving faith is in, is salvation is in faith alone, but it's never by itself. It, it, it just never is. And we need to be captured by that. And I hope that makes sense to you. You know, you, you, some of you say, well, I thought, I thought becoming a Christian was like just coming to Jesus as a little child. Do you, do you know how children come to their parents? 
Anybody ever been to a pool and watched a little kid, you know, their parents in about five foot of water, and that little kid will just take off running, launch themselves out there in the water because they know what's going to happen. Mom or dad's going to take care of me. They're, un, they're just reckless, abandoned. They just throw themselves into the arms of their parents and it's, and, and, and it's joyous. But see, we struggle. We don't want to lay down that kind of control. We want to, we want to hold on to parts of our self-will. And what Jesus is calling for here is complete abandon of our self-will. Because if you will not abandon your will, then you will abandon hope. And Satan will have a field day in your mind. You'll abandon hope of heaven. And this is what Jesus is saying lawlessness does to us. A third characteristic of deluded fans is they, they try to game the system. You know what that means to try to game the system? It means you're always looking for a workaround because you don't want to do it, in this case, God's way. You know, you're trying to find the loophole in everything. You're trying to beat, beat the system because you don't really want to follow Jesus. You don't really want to do it for, because you have this great heart for Jesus. And the word that is used, that Jesus uses here in verse 15, is the word ravenous. He, he says, you're, th these wolves, they look like sheep, but they're actually ravenous wolves. Now, here's what's going on. This word ravenous means that you're completely empty, but you're trying your best to fill yourself up. You're completely empty, but you're trying as best you can. To, you're trying to gain something. Whether it's the praise of other people, you know, whether it's to get respect. Maybe you're trying to get something from God. All throughout the, 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 the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about religion that's done for the praise of men. He's saying you don't want to live that way. He says that's totally, absolutely worthless. But you, you, you do this because you're trying to get something from God. You know, you don't want to know God for God's sake. You want to know God so you can get somewhere or get something. Maybe a, a certain kind of life in the here and now. Maybe, again, it's for you it's just because you want to get to heaven. But you're using God as, as a, a means to an end. Jesus said that's a ravenous wolf. Another translation, that same word can be translated, uh, uh, ravenous, that, that's used, you can also use that word in, in the Greek language as extortion. It's kind of like you think, I'm going to make a contract with God. I'm going to do this, this, and this, and then God's got to do this, this, and this. I'm going to live a certain way, and so God's got to respond to me a certain way because we have this contract going on, me and God. And Jesus says, you're a ravenous wolf. If you're trying to negotiate a contract with God. If you're trying to come to God with anything but love for God for God's sake. Then you, you've missed it completely. And you're going, you're in danger of hearing Jesus say, depart from me. A fourth characteristic of deluded fans is. They have no real foundation. So when the storms come, they crumble. They have no true foundation in Jesus. And so every time something in this life shakes them, their, their faith falters. They're, they, they're, they're back and forth in their commitment to Jesus. And see, Jesus says, storms are coming. The wind, 
It's going to blow. Anybody been blown by the wind of this life lately? Anybody been pelted by the storm of this life lately? Jesus says that's going to come. It's going to happen. And, and see, these people, you know, people here think that, okay, God, wait a minute. Hold on. Slow your roll. If you're not going to keep the storms away from my house, what's the point of my relationship with you? I mean, that's, that's how some people, they wouldn't say that out loud necessarily, but that's kind of the equation. Because for them, again, faith is like this contract. And they, 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 they think that's, God's going to keep his end of the bargain. And so no storms can come my way. Cancer, not, not going to be. And so everything, you're trying to work it for your advantage. You're trying to get something. And Jesus is saying that a sign of that is when the breeze starts to blow, you start to fall apart. In the midst of the storm, your commitment to Christ begins to, to falter. Then there's a chance... When you get to the end of your days, what you're going to hear from Jesus is, you didn't really know me. Your foundation wasn't rooted in me. It was rooted in something else. You see, a real believer, someone that's in the family, understands that God's going to carry them through any storm. Because their belief is rooted in the good news, the gospel that Jesus is with you no matter what you face. It's not that he's going to get you out of it. He's going to be with you in it. He's going to walk you through it. You know, as, as I've gotten older and, and as I've got grandchildren now and I, I think about my own kids and I think I, I've realized something. I love them more than I love you. Now, I love you like crazy. I just do, but there, there's something different about the love that I have for my kids and, and my grandkids. You know, when, when our children were little and they would get scared at night, they could run into our bedroom and mostly they ran to their mama's side because she was better at it than I was. But, you know, sometimes they would, just, they would just come and stand and you would just know there was a presence and they'd look you in the eye and, you know, and what would you do? Well, you just pull back the cover and they would get in. That's what, that's what you do. Well, I, I got to thinking this past weekend, some of you know this, the Constante family who was with us on stage, they, they, they stayed at our house. And, you know, I love Pastor Jonathan. But I'm just telling you, if, if he'd have gotten scared at our house, and he'd have run up our stairs, and I'd have woke up and he was looking over me, I'd have been throwing something, but it wouldn't have been the covers back. You know, that had just been weird. Now, here's the deal. It's because of the father relationship. That's who God is. And when you know God, you, you trust him. You know when you're afraid, you can run to him. You don't crumble. You, you run to God because you know what he's going to do. The Bible talks about he opens his wings. He covers you. He, he loves you that way. And so those who are, whose truth and reality is rooted. See, I'm, I'm a broken man, but I love my kids that way. God loves infinitely more than it's possible for me to or for you to. He's a loving father and so we don't quake. We don't, we don't, we don't, we're not shaken that way. Because we know his love. We know that he's there for us at all times. And so our, our world doesn't crumble. 
It doesn't just fall apart. See, when a person knows the God of the gospel, knows the Jesus of the Bible, knows what he did, they don't fall apart when the winds start to blow. Their foundation is, is, is secure. They're not looking for approval anywhere else because they know they're approved of by God. So those are the four characteristics of people who are deluded fans. And Jesus was saying that day, and he's still saying this day, if those characteristics are primarily the truth about you, then there's a chance you're a fan who's been deceived and deluded, and you're not a family. I don't care how many times you prayed the sinner's prayer. I don't care how many different modes of baptism you went through or what religion, you know, religious pursuits you've been. I don't care if Billy Graham signed your Bible. If you don't know Jesus that way, if you're not, if you haven't abandoned to him, then Jesus says you, you're, you will stand one day face to face with me. And please notice, that passage didn't say that he was going to gather, you know, that group in a room and say, y'all, it was intimate. It was look you in the eye and say, I, I never knew you. It's the scariest thing in the world for me to think about for anybody. And I don't know this, and I, again, I'm, I'm not trying to scare anybody. Uh, see, the Bible says... In 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. Can you bring that up? There it is. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. I know that I will never hear Jesus say, I never knew you. Not because I'm better than you, because I'm not. But because of him. Because I've, I've, I've abandoned not nine-tenths, but all. Do I screw up? Do I get it wrong? Do I try to take it back? Yes. But I want him to be Lord of all. And that's what Jesus said makes all the difference in the world. And so the question is, do you find those characteristics running through you? Or do you see them more and more falling off of you? Because that makes a difference as to the, what you're going to hear Jesus say to you in that day. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to leave those four things up on the screen. And we're going to pray. Can you bring that up? And we're going to pray through these. You can keep your eyes open if you want to. We're just going to pray through these. And I just want you to do business with the Lord here for just a second. And our worship team's going to come as we're praying. But I just want us to pray together right now. Father, we come to you, Jesus giving thanks, that you love us enough to shock us into reality if we need it. Lord, you know I have prayed over these last two weeks especially not to, not to drive anybody to fear or doubt, but to certainty. And so God, I pray right now, if anyone is here today and it's not about relationship, but it's only been about ritual. God, if, if there's still a lawlessness in their heart where they, they haven't given you full control, they're, they're, they've never said to you, Jesus, your Lord of all, take, take all of me. God, if, if, there's, if there's still this, this sense they're trying to do a, uh, 
find the, the loophole, do the work around, trying to game the system, trying, th- th- they have ravenous hearts where they're thinking that they can make a contract with you, God. Lord, or, or if they're, if they're those here, God, who their whole Christian experience has been nothing but, but fear or, or nothing but uh, any time the wind blows, they just fall apart. God, I just pray that today may be that day when they, when they hear you say this warning and they don't harden their hearts, but they turn to you and they just jump all in, all in, God. And if that's you and you want to do that today, right where you're at, I don't care how many times you've prayed this prayer, and I, I'm not going to make it easy today. I, I remember I went home after hearing this message at 16, and I wrestled with it for weeks, and you may have to do that. But when you get to that point where you're just ready to say, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm all in, Jesus. I don't want ritual. I don't want gaming you. I, I don't want, I want you for you. I just want you, Jesus. Come and save me. Jesus says he'll come. That if you call on his name out of a heart like that, you will be saved. And we want to help. I want to help you. And so if not today, if later on this week you need to talk about this, call. We'll, we'll set up some time to grab coffee. Some, some of our other staff and elders would love to sit and meet with you if you're struggling here because we, we want you to know confidently when you are face to face with Jesus that what you're going to hear him say is well done. Enter into your rest. So Lord, we come. We come, God, because we, we want to those, be those people that experience your glory. We want to be those people, God, for whom our relationship with you is filled with joy. We want to be people, God, who know that we have overcome death by the power of your love, O oh God. So that we can celebrate it. So that we can give generously and sacrificially to you. So we can pour our lives out for you. Because you've given us our lives. So we come now, Lord, to worship you, to celebrate your goodness through giving, to celebrate your goodness through worship, to think about the kind of future and hope we have in you, not hearing you say, I never knew you, but hearing you say, I belong to you and you belong to me. Help us now experience you that way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.